Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the Findlay-Hencock County Community Foundation wants to talk. We have details on another round of community conversations, what they've learned from them before, what they hope to accomplish now. Also this morning in our Throwback Thursday segment, as communities increasingly look to attract young professionals, can they also be more inclusive to seniors? Proper nutrition is important every day, but especially as kids prepare to head back to school soon, we have what you need for good growth and development. And celebrating the success of the Dolly Parton Imagination Library, along with details on upcoming virtual author talks with the Finley Hancock County Public Library. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, August 4th, 2022. Today, if you need a reason to celebrate, is Single Working Women's Day. It is also U.S. Coast Guard Day, National White Wine Day, National IPA Day. So if white wine isn't your thing, have an IPA. Uh, National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day, Assistance Dog Day, and Hooray for Kids Day. Uh, reasons to celebrate today. Big news, big news here. Apparently, the Choco Taco may not be completely dead yet. You'll recall that the announcement that the Choco Taco would be discontinued caused an uproar online, fans everywhere grieving the loss of the ice cream treat, and boxes of Choco Tacos were selling for hundreds of dollars online. Uh, after Klondike last month said no more Choco Tacos, they're going to discontinue it. Uh, yesterday, the company released a statement saying that they have heard the complaints and they hope to bring the snack back in the coming years, sometime in the future. They're very ambiguous about that. Um, for now, just to be clear, for now, the Choco Taco is still officially discontinued and... Basically, as of last month, they were not shipping anymore. They're not making anymore. And so whatever was on store shelves, that's pretty much it. If there's any left, you can still get them. But once the existing stock is sold out, that's it. I thought it was interesting that the company said they hope to bring back the snack in the coming years. It's your (laughs) you're the one that manufactures you. (laughs) If you hope to just do it. I mean, you know, it's almost like it was beyond their control the way they worded that. But uh, <laughs> you're you're the company. If you want to make them, make them. That's, that's why the uh, big thing. But uh, apparently, uh, fans are rejoicing now because there is a glimmer of hope. For now, however, the Choco Taco remains unavailable. Speaking of uh, products, this is kind of interesting uh, and a bit controversial here. Oreo is bringing back one of their uh, more divisive flavors you know in recent years when i was a kid you had oreos that was it you just had oreos oreos they are what they are you have oreos that was it and then i can remember when double stuff came out it was like oh double stuff and that was the the big thing now they have all kinds of different varieties and flavors and so on and now One of the most controversial is coming back, pumpkin spice Oreos. Yes, that's right. The cookie company has announced that they will be ushering in the autumn season 
with the return of pumpkin spice flavored Oreos. Um, apparently, this is the first time in like five years they've done pumpkin spice. So they're bringing it back. And here is the part of the controversy here. I mean, outside of the fact that in autumn, it becomes pumpkin spice everything. You know, but uh, and some people are that that rubs some people the wrong way. They get pumpkin spice everything because we've we've overdone the pumpkin spice thing. But uh, setting that aside, apparently they're going to you're going to start seeing pumpkin spice Oreos on shelves starting August 15th. Now, that's just that's just wrong. It's just too early. August 15th. Really? You couldn't wait till September or October uh, to get, I mean, at least September. Push that back to the 1st of September. It's not till after Labor Day. I mean, it's still summer. Uh, The decision has fans rejoicing, but others shocked at the timeline for pumpkin spice Oreos. Um, Again, here in the story, it says many say that the pumpkin spice Oreos should not be allowed until at least September. That would be my argument. It's Labor Day. Labor after Labor Day, you put them on the store shelves. Uh, Oreo is not the only one uh, getting an early start on autumn. Companies like Starbucks and Dunkin' are expected to bring out their pumpkin spice flavors sometime this month as well. So... I guess why fight it? I guess we just can't fight it. Pumpkin spice everything is coming. So here's a uh, follow-up to a story that we had uh, some months ago. You remember the story? Oh, this has been, I guess, maybe over a year ago when this originally made headlines. But it looks like Jeff Bezos will not be dismantling a bridge for his yacht After all, you remember this story, right? It was originally reported that a historic bridge in Rotterdam would have to be dismantled so that Jeff Bezos' yacht could travel to sea. Um, It was being built in uh, Rotterdam, but to to get it out, it was so big that they would have to dismantle this historic bridge. Well, apparently that plan has been scrapped. The plan now is that the tall masts for the yacht will be added at another location instead. They just won't put the masts on until it uh, gets out of Rotterdam, goes under the bridge, and then they'll put the... Well, there's an idea. I don't know why someone didn't think of that at first. Um, it says it will be able. the yacht will be able to enter the North Sea without taking apart the bridge... As a result, the original plan created an uproar, uproar with the uh, Dutch citizens threatening to vandalize the vessel <laughs> as it as it uh, traveled out of uh, out of port. Once completed, Jeff Bezos' fourteen four I'm sorry four hundred seventeen foot vessel will be the biggest sailing yacht in the world. Four hundred seventeen feet. Wow. Mm. It'd be nice to have that kind of money. Um, I know a lot of people say Jeff Bezos has that kind of money. It's obscene. It's obscene. No one, no one person should have that kind of money. But we give him his money. I mean, you know, 
we shop on Amazon, so <laughs> who do we have to blame? I didn't blame him, blame him for it. Or no? Anyway, uh, this is kind of interesting. Uh, among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, new survey of 3,000 adults, 1,000 of those with a long-term health condition. So 3,000 adults were surveyed, one-third of them with a long-term health condition. What they found is that uh, exercise can lift your mood and reduce stress. Shocker. I know, right? Specifically, they looked at uh, three activities, swimming, walking, and dancing. 29% of all adults say they felt calmer after engaging in such physical activity. And for those with long-term health conditions, 38% said this kind of physical activity helped their well-being. Even the smallest of movements, such as walking or even just stretching, just stretching your muscles, can make you feel happier and healthier, according to Dr. Zoe Williams, um, who I guess analyzed the results of this, uh, of this survey. She said, moving our bodies in any shape or form each day can uplift our mood and help increase our mobility and mental well-being. So, here you go. Swimming, walking, dancing. Three of the best ideas to lift your mood and reduce stress. I, and I thought that was uh, interesting, not necessarily groundbreaking research. I think we probably all knew that. Uh, we've heard that before, and maybe we've experienced it in our own lives. But I thought it was interesting this came, that this story was on the Newswire because the very next news story that I saw on the wire this morning as I'm you know, perusing the uh, interesting stuff uh, out there making headlines, right after this uh, story about how ac- physical activity lifts our mood, improves our mental well-being, um, reduces stress and all of that. Right after that story, I see this one. America's newest branch of the military, the Space Force, is ditching its yearly fitness test. <laughs> they're, they're not going to require it anymore. In an effort to inspire overall healthy lifestyles, members of the Space Force will instead be required to wear fitness trackers year-round. So... They're not going to uh, have a yearly fitness test in the Space Force and outfit their uh, guardians. That's what they're called, the guardians, not the Cleveland baseball team, the Space Force. Uh, members of the Space Force are guardians, Army soldiers, uh, Navy seamen, uh, air, uh, airmen in the Air Force, and it's guardians in the Space Force. Anyway... Um, so the uh, guardians of the space force will be required to required to wear fitness trackers year round in either ring or watch form. The wearable fitness device would monitor physical activity, sleeping patterns, eating habits, and relay information about their mental health as well. Officials of the space force say this approach prioritizes healthier living and will encourage better eating and sleeping habits. This change is set to be implemented in 2023, and until then, they will continue to have the uh, fitness tests. Uh, and uh, by the way, for the Space Force, it is the Air Force fitness test, a one-mile run followed by one minute each of push-ups and sit-ups. So that's the fitness test in the uh, Space Force. So I don't know. I You know, the more I think about it, do you really need a fitness test in the Space Force? I mean, if you're out in space and zero gravity, how much 
physical activity does it take to move around? <laughs> you know, it's not the same as storming a beach uh, someplace on Earth. <laughs> that's physically exhausting, I would imagine. Floating around in space, that's going to be probably a little easier than that. So uh, less of a threshold, the uh, fitness thing, I would think would be required. And finally, among the first things that you need to know this morning, this has been a story that has been in the news for the past uh, year or so. Sports fans have been saying this name, image, and likeness thing in college athletics is quickly getting out of control and there needs to be some sort of guardrails, some sort of parameters on this. Well, two U.S. senators are working together to draft a bipartisan bill that would regulate name, image, and likeness policies for collegiate athletes at a federal level. And forget the NCAA, they can't seem to get their act together, so the Fed's going to step in. Alabama Republican Tommy Tuberville, who, of course, uh, coached at Auburn and a number of other different D1 college football programs, so he knows a thing or two about college athletics. So he and West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin have sent letters to college sports leaders seeking feedback to guide talks on a legislative path forward. That's political speak for we want to do something. We want your input. Uh, The senators cite a lack of clear and enforceable rules, which they say creates an environment that could allow athletes to be exploited. Uh, So stay tuned, but there does appear to be some movement at the legislative level on the name image likeness thing. I think it's interesting that, uh, well, Joe Manchin, he seems to have his finger in everything these days. It's, um, but Tommy Tuberville, Tommy Tuberville being the uh, other uh, Senator, uh, who's involved in that. I would say if there would be any person that would be appropriate to work on that, it would be Tommy Tuberville. So stay tuned. It'll be interesting to see what happens, uh, on that. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, scattered showers and storms today with a high of 85. Showers and storms are possible tonight, a low of 71. On the campaign trail, the two candidates for governor, incumbent Mike DeWine and Democrat challenger Nan Whaley, have been talking about school safety. Governor DeWine spoke to a group of teachers about a new controversial law that allows school staff members to be armed. There's so much more to this than the question whether or not a teacher has a gun or does not. Nan Whaley is against arming teachers. We need to invest in having real school resource officers across the state, right? Mike DeWine has said that's just too expensive. I don't think anything is too expensive for our kids to keep them safe. I'm Yolanda Harris. Finley City Schools will be holding a Community Day back-to-school bash on Friday at Donnell Stadium. Finley High School football coach Stephen Adams. We will introduce all fall sports teams, the band, and our cheerleaders at 4.45 p.m. right before our football team's first scrimmage for St. Mary's at 6 p.m. Go Trojans! As you heard the coach mention, the football team will have its first scrimmage of the year that night at 6 against St. Mary's. You can get more on the Finley City Schools Community Day on the website. Nearly 200 educators, coaches, and others attended the first ever anti-hazing summit at Bowling Green State University. Keynote speaker Elizabeth Allen says there needs to be a cultural change surrounding hazing. She says mandatory and external reporting is crucial. We all need to work together to be part of that change, to break the cycle, to disrupt the idea that hazing is just a 
tradition or just an initiation or just some harmless pranks because we all know that it is much broader than that. It's dangerous. It can be very harmful. WTOL 11's Madeline Watkins reporting. The City of Finley is looking for people interested in serving on the City of Finley Parks and Recreation Board. Interested individuals should email the mayor's office with their address, contact information, and reason they are interested. On our website, you can learn more about the parks and programs that City of Finley Parks and Rec has to offer. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. The Finley Hancock County Community Foundation would like to have a conversation. I want to talk. It's another round of community conversations, and uh, CEO Brian Treese with us this morning from the Finley Hancock County Community Foundation. Um, this was actually something that you were going to do a couple of years ago. Another round of community. The first ones were done what back in 2017, I think something like right. that. In 2017, and our yeah. goal initially was to do them every three years. Mm-hmm. So March of 2020, we were hmm, what organized. Happened? What happened in the March of 2020? I, you know, <laughs> it, we were we were ready and made the call uh, yeah. about two weeks before they were supposed to start. That. Yeah. Given all of the unknowns at that point, right. uh, we needed to postpone it. Mm-hmm. And we kept postponing until we had a little more clarity. <laughs> and I think we're at the place right now. Finally, we're ready. To that Finally point. two years yeah. later. So let's step back a little bit. Uh, in the original community conversations back in 2017, what did you get out of that? So the interesting part for us in 2017 is we heard from over a thousand people in Hancock County. And no matter who we talked to, and we were very intentional to talk to as many different people as possible, mm-hmm. people who live in Finley, who live in the county, people who are younger, people who are older. Um, and what we found was everybody was talking about the same priorities. The same things mattered to everybody in our community. And those things were, uh, no surprise, housing, mental health and harmful substance use, safety, transportation, workforce, and having fin- financial stability. Mm-hmm. And so we found that those were the priorities from everybody that we talked to. Now, how much of that was uh, what you expected? How much of it was maybe a surprise uh, beyond you know what you expected? You look at it and say, oh, that's interesting. So I don't think the priorities were a surprise to anybody, mm-hmm. but the consensus around yeah. the priorities was a surprise. Mm. And that was the exciting thing for us because that then gave us the opportunity to make funding decisions based on that. And so since that original 2017, over $5.7 million from the foundation has been invested in those things that our community told us matter most. And that's really uh, the the point we want to get to is that, okay, it's great to have these conversations, sit down, and it's interesting, but what do you do with that data? And you actually turn that into actionable items. Right, that's how... One of the factors we use to make the decisions mm-hmm. on, on grants to distribute. So when we think about, um, we often hear, and some of us may have been guilty of saying, oh, my voice doesn't matter. You know, right. why, why should I participate? Because mm-hmm. there are so many opportunities to have your voice heard. It's so important because this results in actionable 
uh, items from us, yeah. spending from us, grant making from us that can make a difference for you, your friends and neighbors. And absent those types of conversations, you're left with maybe making some assumptions about what you think are priorities for the community and what you think are priorities for different groups of people within the community. Right. Sometimes, you know, the the loudest voices get heard. Mm-hmm. Opportunities like this or with other strategic planning initiatives um, take all the voices together yeah. and, and tabulate the results in a way that makes as many people's voices heard as possible. So, again, the original plan was to do this again in 2020. Uh, we all know what happened over the past couple of years, but now we're to the point where we can do this again what do you hope to accomplish now building on those original community conversations? So we are going to uh, be doing guided conversations again. The first ones start next week, August 9th through the 15th, and then another round October 10th through 14th. And we're having about an hour, hour and a half conversations where we're first going to test, are these still the priorities? And then hear from community members on what they would like to see us do to address these priorities in the future. There's going to be some uh, conversation again, as you mentioned, from the original uh, community conversations, uh, millions of dollars worth of funding have been uh, allocated to address some of those uh, issues. Going to uh, talk a little bit about how effective that has maybe been, or does this maybe give you some sense of how effective that has been based on whether there's still priorities or concerns within the community? Well, thinking about those initial priorities, Uh, they're much more expensive to address than what we've done. Um, And we have partnered with so many nonprofits and government agencies doing that work. But what else could we be doing? Yeah. Um, Sometimes I think uh, the best ideas come from community members who are impacted in different ways um, by housing or by transportation. So let's hear, what what are your ideas? What would you share? If I were to uh, give you a check and said, what What would you do to address housing? Mm-hmm. Tell us what you would do. Yeah. Let's hear your ideas. Let's let's see what ideas are bubbling up from our community, from those we serve. It's a good point that the priorities may be similar uh, across multiple groups, but the way those priorities are perceived or applied uh, are different. It may be very different for uh, somebody who is an executive at Marathon versus somebody who is a part-time worker at a factory someplace. Definitely. And one of our roles is to make sure we're hearing from community members. Mm -hmm. We can only, our mission is to improve the quality of life for all in the community it's important for us to hear from community members directly. Yeah. May not just be housing, but what specifically about housing. So right. you were talking about these uh, conversations will start next week. They continue uh, through the month of August, also in, uh, in October. How will these be facilitated? Sure. So we have facilitators that have been trained that will lead the conversations at different tables. And then we have note takers at every table, and then we will tabulate the results and share those back to the community and make a full report available to nonprofits, to government agencies, elected officials, um, because data is most valuable when you share it broadly. And so we will share it with everybody. It'll be available on our website. Uh, but there are a couple different ways you can get involved. First is to attend a conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have conversations in every village and a couple in Finley as well. If none of those times work or if you want a different experience, host a conversation. We have on our website where you can sign up, have 8 to 12 people come together and host a conversation. You can be a facilitator. We have a process where you can be a facilitator or volunteer as a note taker. 
it's really important for us that everyone possible get involved in this process. And how do folks sign up for one of those? I mean, is there a registration process uh, involved to be a part of those? Right. Everything about this is available on our website. So you can go to www.community-foundation.com slash CC22. We have that linked up at our webpage, too, by the way, so uh, you can learn more about these uh, community conversations. Interesting that uh, it was just making uh, headlines earlier this week. First draft of the strategic plan for the city of Findlay uh, is uh, under consideration now, the uh, strategic planning committee. This is, just to be uh, clear, clarify uh, those who may be, this is separate from that. To what extent do those two things perhaps work together? Well, hopefully they do work together. Hopefully they are separate processes. Right. Um, ours is focused on all of Hancock County. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look, we have conversations in all of the villages as right. well. Um, this is the mayor's is specifically for Finley. Mm-hmm. Um, but we talk regularly and we share ideas. And uh, I always say we are at our best when we work together. So hopefully we are sharing the results. Um and, and building a community based on what we're hearing. And and is there a target for when those results would be available? You said you can compile all of this uh, information into a report that will be out when? Early 2023. Okay. Um, so. so we'll finish out the conversations in October and then look at the demographics and see if there's extra work we need to do to make sure we're comparing the demographics of who we talk to to the demographics of our community to make sure they reflect as accurately as possible. May need to do a little extra work, so give us until the beginning of 23 to get it all done. Yeah. Uh, really will be interesting to see where all of this lands. Uh, again, the Finley Hancock County Community Foundation with another round of community conversations beginning next week. So yes. this is coming up quickly. Uh, again, goodmornings.net to learn more. Really quickly, uh, your 30th anniversary this year. I know we've talked about this uh, before, but uh, you've got big things uh, planned. We were, we were just talking before we went on the air. Uh, the actual date you've pegged as the date when you got the designation from the IRS is a... <laughs> Is, you know, uh, not necessarily a typical day to celebrate. Well, that's as good as any. Uh, yes, so August, you wouldn't be able to do what you do if it weren't it, you didn't have the IRS designation, exactly, I guess. So. Exactly. Um, so August 18th, we are celebrating our 30th anniversary, and we are forever grateful for all of those that we've partnered with, um, all of the donors who have made this possible, the nonprofits doing the challenging work in our community. Uh, community leaders who have partnered with us. We couldn't do it without every single person in Hancock County. And uh, lots of uh, stuff coming up uh, in conjunction with that 30th anniversary still to come in the second part of the year. So yes, we will we'll be look, back in touch. We will look forward to that. Again, uh, Brian Treese with us, uh, CEO of the Finley Hancock County Community Foundation. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. And now to our Throwback Thursday feature this morning. You remember yesterday we spoke with Economic Development Director Tim Miley a little bit about the purchase and planned redevelopment of the former Argyle building site downtown that was announced earlier this week. And part of that involves creating more housing opportunities geared to young professionals. Now, every community wants to attract this segment of the population to ensure a vibrant future. That is certainly understandable. But keep in mind that roughly 54 million people in the United States are now age 65 or older, a number that will grow to 73 million in the next decade. 
All the way back five years ago, we spoke with Nancy Lamond of AARP about their series of books highlighting the best ideas from all 50 states on how to make communities more livable and inclusive for an aging population. It's a series called Where We Live, and it is just as relevant now as it was then. From September of 2017, it is today's Throwback Thursday. It is almost ironic that so many communities are focused on attracting and retaining millennials and building the types of communities that young people want to be a part of. That is certainly important, no question. Is it possible to do both? Absolutely. And in fact, uh, AARP understands that everyone across all ages want similar things from their communities. They want safety and security, affordable and accessible housing and transportation options, services and features that work for all. So the good news is uh, you can make uh, boomers and millennials happy. <laughs> and uh, what is, are many communities guilty of in that race to uh, attract those millennials, which many people see as the as the future. Again, certainly the the largest generation in the workforce, and you know, looking you know, forward looking communities. But this is a very large segment of the population. One in five Americans are at sixty five and older. So, uh, are are sometimes communities guilty of overlooking that segment of the population in chasing those millennials? Well, sometimes, although uh, I will say we're seeing something of a movement around the country towards um, age-friendly communities. We have now over 200 communities where AARP is uh, working directly with leaders uh, to be sure that communities are good for people of all ages. And the other thing is when we think about the aging of the population, we have to remember, you pointed out, uh, a second ago, how many people are over the age of 65 right now? Um, uh, this aging phenomenon isn't just a one generation and done. Uh, oh, we have point. the boomers, we're going to have the Gen Xers, and then the millennials themselves, though it's hard yep. to believe. Um, <laughs> in 2043, boomers, Gen Xers, and millennials will be collecting Social Security. So uh, communities that are investing in making their, uh, their environments good for older Americans are going to benefit for many years. So so it is possible to do both, and it is not an us-versus-them mentality. Absolutely not. Yeah. In fact, uh, the book you mentioned, Where We Live, which we're making available on AARP's website, um, really shows an awful lot of examples of communities that have uh, come forth with very inspiring ideas, and they speak to uh, anybody uh, of any age. Such as, do you have a, uh, some examples that you can point out? Yeah, one community um, has decided they're going to do pop-up town meetings uh, rather than have people uh, go to City Hall, which may or may not be an easy place to get to. Um, uh, mayors and city officials are having pop-up town halls in uh, neighborhood parks. It's just as easy for older people and younger people to come there. We're finding uh, some communities are surveying their residents um, and asking them what kind of skills they have that they might be willing to uh, kind of teach others and putting it together in a, in a one-day event. You might find somebody who's willing to teach gardening, and you might find somebody else willing to show somebody how to use all the gadgets on their, uh, on their new, uh, new phone. Uh, so we are seeing these things, and we think it's just hugely important. It's interesting. Uh, many of those that you point out do not involve uh, a whole lot of 
big capital expenditure does not necessarily mean building up uh, uh, tons of infrastructure and so on. I mean, you know, obviously there are certain things that involve uh, larger amounts of public funding or, or infrastructure, that, you know, that kind of thing. But a lot of what you're talking about here are just uh, simple things that can be done with a little thought. Absolutely. And um, uh, one other thing we've seen is that for a lot of communities, as you speak about infrastructure, things like that, um, it, it enables them to take a fresh look at what they're actually already doing. So um, one of the things that uh, we've noticed is that parks, um, uh, every community has a park. Are they looking at it in a way to make it maximally um, uh, beneficial for younger people and also uh, older people? And as a matter, matter of fact, uh, ARP is just finishing a challenge grant program, and we're about to uh, give an award. This is kind of an announcement to one of your neighbors in the village of Macomb, Ohio, mm-hmm. um, and that's for one of its parks, uh, wow. where they're going to kind of add park benches and play equipment that can be used for older people in addition to younger people. We think this is a great example. You know, that is a, a good point, because how often does it think when, we, when you say the word, uh, word you know, go to the park, uh, I think <laughs> most of us think of, of kids going to the playground yeah. at the park yeah. uh, or, uh, you know, playing ball at the park. But again, this can be something that is uh, useful and beneficial. Uh, across the spectrum, uh, we mentioned that this is um, this is the latest edition uh, of this book, Where We Live. People may remember we talked about the previous edition yes. of this book some time back. What is the biggest difference, or when you compare what you find in in this latest edition uh, versus what you saw before, what strikes you uh, in comparing those? Well, I think what struck us uh, initially was when we did the first book, we thought that might be the only book. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, we had a tremendous reaction. People sent us additional ideas. We started to find them through our AARP offices. You know we have an AARP Ohio office and our staff and volunteers around the state. So the biggest difference was we were surprised we uh, had enough ideas so quickly for a second volume. Uh, and I think what continues to impress us is just the tremendous amount of creativity that's coming out from across the country. You mentioned it a minute ago with uh, a lot of these approaches that don't require huge amount of planning, don't require a huge amount of uh, public investment, mm-hmm. but are great ideas and make communities just uh, so much nicer to be around. And again, that's the goal here is uh, making communities more livable and inclusive, specifically for an aging population. I mean, again, it is AARP, but really yeah. for the community as a whole yes absolutely it is called where we live and where do folks get it uh it's a free book go to aarp.org slash where we live uh you can download an e-copy you can get a print copy and we'd also love it if you would tell us any additional ideas or initiatives you've seen in your community Our conversation from September of 2017 with Nancy Lamond of AARP about their book series called Where We Live, Ways the Communities Are Becoming More Livable and Inclusive for an Aging Population. A couple of notes uh, regarding that uh, discussion there. She referenced the uh, uh, challenge grant to the village of Macomb back in September of 2017. That was a part of the Heart and Soul campaign campaign. 
through the uh, Community Foundation that uh, facilitated all of that. And we were just talking about uh, more communities uh, signing up for the uh, Heart and Soul program, the Community Foundation, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, kind of interesting, the uh, reference there. Uh, I had actually forgotten about that. And uh, Nancy was uh, mentioning that the book at the time that we were talking about, that we uh, had that conversation with her, uh, was the second edition of the Where We Live series. They are now out with their third book in that series, and all three are available online. We have the link up at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Today's Throwback Thursday. Well, it is the time of year for wellness to be top of mind as parents prepare to send their kids back to the classroom. Be here before you know it. Registered dietitian nutritionist Mia Sin is here with what you need to help prioritize nutrition and overall healthfulness at back to school time. And Mia, we know that proper nutrition, eating well uh, for kids and adolescents uh, is critical to supporting proper growth and development. So how do we get started here? Yes. So my first tip is to start the day off with breakfast. Easy enough. You know, research shows that kids that start their day with breakfast have improved attention span, concentration, and memory, all important for learning in school. And you can do something fun like banana pancakes. I like to make mine with three ingredients, peanut butter, oats, and bananas. And then you can serve that with mini fruit kebabs. Uh, kebabs, like um, add them to toothpicks and then flavored yogurt as a dip. Or you can do an apple cinnamon oatmeal with raisins and pecans. The goal is to make sure that kids have energy they need to make it to lunchtime. You know, it is really uh, interesting that a lot of parents talk about how, you know, I just don't get uh, all of the schoolwork. It's been so long since I've been, I, I struggle with helping my kids do their homework and all of that. But the best thing that we can do to help our kids succeed in the classroom is make sure that they start off each day with a good breakfast. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. And you can have so much fun with it. I mean, breakfast food is my favorite. I don't know about you. Um, there, You can get uh, pancakes, waffles, yeah. eggs. I mean, it's the best meal of the day. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, speaking of uh, eating well, obviously this is the time of the year when schedules can get incredibly hectic and parents uh, are often looking for convenient and quick ways to get through the day while at the same time eating well. What other easy meal tips do you have for the rest of the day? Yes. You know, I'm really excited because plant-based eating is on the rise. And not only is it good for our health, but for the environment as well. And Sweet Earth is a brand that has delicious, flavor-forward, vegan and vegetarian options that are perfect to have on hand during the busy back-to-school season. So two of my favorites are the Korean barbecue-style chicken entree bowl. It's packed with veggies, edamame, sugar snap peas, cauliflower rice, and it's made with a sweet and spicy gochujang sauce. And then their mindful chicken, it has the taste and texture of traditional chicken, but it's plant-based. So it's a great plant-based protein you can add to salads, fajitas, pizza, you name it. You can serve it fresh uh, out of the fridge or cooked, and you can find these plant-based products and more in grocery stores nationwide. You can also visit sweetearthfoods.com to find a store near you. So many parents saying, yeah, I wish we had more hours in the day uh, during the school year because things do get kind of crazy. You also uh, have here, it says, uh, another way to make meal times even more convenient. 
So the Chinet brand can really make cleanup easier, allowing you to focus on other aspects of your life, including personal wellness. So they have their classic products, which are made for exactly what's on your menu. Their plates, bowls can serve your bacon and eggs for breakfast, cereal or oatmeal. And obviously they make cleanup a breeze. And then they also have their comfort cups, which are perfect for your morning cup of coffee. When you're running out the door, the cups are sturdy. They keep your drinks warm and the lids help protect from accidental spills. You can head over to mychina.com for more information. Not to mention the fact that it may save you a little bit of money or a little bit of uh, energy when you're not running your dishwasher all the time and uh, things like that as well. Uh, Also would be remiss if we mentioned, if we didn't mention that back to school hits while allergy season is still happening in many parts of the country. How do we give uh, our kids some relief while they are heading off to school uh, and even before in this time they're enjoying the outdoors here in the last weeks of summer? That's right. You know, nearly 1.7 million children have one or more allergies. And of course, parents want their kids to feel their best as they head back to school. And Children's Claritin is the number one pediatrician recommended non-drowsy oral over-the-counter allergy allergy brand, and it provides kids with indoor and outdoor allergy relief whenever they need it most. And what I love about the makers of Claritin is that they are committed to helping kids spend more time outside through their multi-year initiative, the Outsideologist Project. Um, research shows that kids you know, spend eight minutes outside playing each day, and so it, they really encourage you to go to the local playground, play hopscotch, even toss a ball in the backyard, and you can follow them at Outsideologist Project on Instagram and Facebook. They always share fun and exciting ideas and inspiration to help you and your family spend more time outside. Yeah, it can't be emphasized enough that that is such an important part of uh, children's health and development uh, as well as keeping them active and of course uh, spending time outdoors with the entire family. So many benefits from that. Absolutely. Again, registered dietitian nutritionist Mia Sin with what you need to have on hand for Back to School Health and Nutrition. Where do we get more information, Mia? For more information, you can visit my website, nutritionbymia.com. Mia, thanks very much. Thank you so much for having me. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. I did not even know that this was possible. I would have never imagined that this is possible. Story out of Brazil where Mariana Vieira, uh, there was something wrong with her uh, Kindle, you know, the uh, Amazon uh, tablet device. Something wrong with her Kindle. It wasn't charging properly. So she uh, she blew into the uh, charge port. I mean, you know, right. Clean out whatever dust or anything. It turns out it wasn't dust. It wasn't dirt in her charging point port. Hundreds of tiny ants poured out of the charging port in a Kindle and apparently gotten in the device uh, through the uh, charging port. Hundreds of tiny ants poured out. But what's more surprising about this and the part that I didn't uh, even think was possible, the ants apparently made some purchases <laughs> on her Kindle, messed with the uh, touchscreen on the device, the uh, uh, microprocessor or whatever, uh, because Ms. Vieira received two emails from Amazon stating that she had bought uh, a couple of ebooks, <laughs> and they were downloading to her device. Uh, she ended up uh, getting rid of the ants by putting the Kindle into the freezer. 
which I don't know if that's really healthy for the electronics on the device, but it killed the ants. And uh, after she did that, the random e-purchases seem to have stopped for now. Ms. Verera says she might just try to read the book that the ants selected for her. So that's <laughs> the least that she can do in their memory, I guess. That's really bizarre. And no idea that something like that was possible. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news this morning. Uh, this is a more uh, conventional type of broken news story. It happened uh, in Florida along uh, I-95. Doesn't say where in Florida. Interstate 95 is like the busiest interstate in the state of Florida. So uh, this story from the Florida Highway Patrol. A woman with an open bottle of whiskey was arrested Saturday night after driving her golf court uh, golf cart along the highway. Interstate 95 is tootling down the road in a golf cart. But here's what's crazy. The woman was initially reported by a semi-truck driver who claimed the driver of the golf cart was passed out or passing out while she was driving on the highway. Uh, So the driver of the semi-truck used uh, his vehicle to steer the golf cart onto the shoulder of the road and out of harm's way. Now, that takes a delicate touch. That's pretty impressive there. Uh, anyway, police responded and placed the woman under arrest once uh, troopers arrived at the scene. <laughs> Crazy. Kudos to that semi-truck driver, though. Could have just plowed her over and been done with it. Yes. Uh, let's see. A couple of animal stories in the news. There's the story of Bandit. A 20-pound cat, this is no small house cat, 20-pound cat, who helped his owner stop an armed robbery. This is from Belden, Mississippi, late last month. Apparently, some armed robbers attempted to enter the home, and the cat jumped onto her owner's bed and literally pulled the covers off of him. Fred Everett said she had never done anything like that before. So he figured something must be wrong when he got up to investigate the would-be intruders fled and uh, they haven't been back since. So <laughs> have a guard dog, you bandit the guard cat. Bandit chased off the bandits. <laughs> Good kitty. Uh, let's see. Then there's uh, this story where the animal was the one doing the breaking in state environmental officials in Connecticut are trying to locate a bear that broke into the same house twice last week. Um, Police uh, told the homeowners to close the doors of the house for a week. Yeah, they closed the doors. Bear came to visit not once, but twice. I'd be ready to move. <laughs> I'd be ready to move. The uh, bear first uh, happened, uh, first broke into the house on July 25th, came back on July 31st and uh, forced its way through a screen door, was uh, chased back outside by the homeowner. Environmental officials are setting traps in the area, of hoping to catch the bear and transport it to a safe location. <laughs> Maybe this should set a trap in the home. That's where the bear seems to like. So. Anyway, uh, let's see. Elsewhere in the <laughs> back to Florida, this Volusia County, the sheriff's office says a man was trying caught uh, was caught trying to bring a knife into the Volusia County courthouse. 
Apparently, the knife was hidden in his shoe. Uh, Metal detectors quickly found the prohibited item. It was an eight-inch dagger hidden in the sole of the shoe. (laughs) When they asked him about it, he had a very simple explanation. The shoes were not his. (laughs) I don't know. These aren't my shoes. I just... (laughs) Right. Uh, By the way... This is an important part of the story. The uh, suspect here is allegedly under a risk protection order, meaning any type of uh, weapon is prohibited. They removed firearms from his home after he was caught firing a shotgun at people who did not exist. (laughs) He was caught firing a shotgun at people who did not exist. So probably not the person that you want trying to take a knife into the courthouse. Yeah. (laughs) And <laughs> that's why they have metal detectors. And finally, in the broken news this morning, a Utah man has been placed under arrest on accusations that he started a wildfire. Well, it's been very dry. It's been burning a lot of wildfires uh, out west. They have extreme drought conditions. So this guy, they uh, arrested him for starting a wildfire while trying to burn a spider with his lighter. <laughs> Corey Allen Martin, age 26, told deputies that he spotted the spider when he was hiking in the foothills south of Salt Lake City near the town of Springville. And uh, he acknowledged that he started the wildfire, but did not explain why he was trying to burn the spider. (laughs) I mean, okay, if you find a spider in your house, you want to kill it. But this was just outside. He was hiking. He came across a spider. Surprise, surprise. And he decided he was going to burn the spider, started a wildfire instead. Deputies did note in their report that they found a jar of marijuana in his belongings. (laughs) But he did not appear to be high. Uh, There is no evidence. uh, Utah County Sheriff Sergeant Spencer Cannon says no evidence to suggest he intentionally started the blaze. But he called it a reckless and puzzling decision (laughs) a reckless and puzzling decision uh this entire area and most of utah bone dry and extreme drought conditions what led him to stop and notice a spider and decide decide to try to burn it we don't know according to the chair (laughs) wow uh there you go uh that is uh, today's broken news report this update on the odd and unusual side of the news, and it certainly is that. Brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile app for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills, and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 13. 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet and Alexa devices. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. New survey of 2000 Americans commissioned by the identity security company prove finds that uh, most Americans simply have too many passwords to keep track of. We suffer 
these days from password overload. The average person in this survey says that they have four, and this is really interesting. See if if you fall into this. The average person has four go-to passwords for all of the sites that they visit on the internet. Four go-to passwords. And 31% admit that their go-to passwords for each site are just variations of the same password. Like, uh, add an additional symbol or number at the end uh, to differentiate one password from one site to the other because they're all supposed to be different. So we just tack on something uh, to our base password. 79% say they have six of those go-to passwords that they cycle through. Uh, 76% say they will only open a new account on a new uh, website, a new platform, say to read an article or buy something. They will only open up a new account if uh, it's a site that they are going to use more than once. They think it'll be only once. They won't even bother. And remembering those passwords is such a hassle, the survey finds, that the average respondent has six online accounts they have never even used. 39% say that they don't use them just because they forgot the password. (laughs) That they'll pull the plug on a website just because they've forgotten the password. And, and I have to admit, I've done that. I know that there are sites on the Internet uh, where I will go occasionally and try to sign in. And I know I've created an account, but I have no idea what the password is. And some of them, uh, it's been so long ago that I've changed email addresses. So, you know, when they say, oh, we'll email you a link to reset your password, that won't work either because the email address <laughs> is, is outdated. So... I have to admit that uh, I, I fall into that category, to be sure. But one of the most interesting revelations from this survey, again, 2,000 Americans, uh, they, they say we have, and this is the other thing. Have you ever spent a, a lot of time just sitting there basically trying to hack into your own account because you can't remember your password? Uh, this survey, 2000 Americans finds that most people will give up trying to unlock their own account after just three tries, but, and this is what is interesting about this. We have more patience for trying to unlock our significant others, digital passwords than we do our own. (laughs) We will try and we'll give up on, uh, trying to access our own accounts after three tries, but we'll keep going and going and going to try and get into our significant other's account. Hmm. Well, you might have heard uh, in the news that next week, the one and only, the incomparable Dolly Parton going to be in the Buckeye State for an event in Columbus with uh, Ohio First Lady Fran DeWine uh, to promote the success of the Dolly Parton Imagination Library, which locally is administered through the Finley Hancock County Public Library, and uh, Sarah Clevidence is uh, with us uh, this morning. And as a matter of fact, I think there was a, a list of the Ohio counties uh, that have been most successful with mm-hmm. the Imagination Library. We're right up there near the top. So we are. We're at fifty-one percent. Although 
I, I'm more a little, than half. I'm more than half. I'm a little competitive, though, I'll admit. <laughs> and so uh, Shelby County is also has their local library as the uh-huh. affiliate. So and they're, they're like they're at sixty five percent. So you know, if you've got if some work to do here, we've got some work to do. So if you've got kids <laughs> who are birth to age five who aren't signed up yet. Um, you know, it's it's easy to do. It's right on our website. And then it's a free book every month for the child delivered to your home. Yeah, for the first five years. For the so first five years. I mean, 60 it's not just books. one and done. It's yeah, 60 that's books over the course of Quite that. a great uh, start. It is such a wonderful program. It is, absolutely. The books are, you know, really high quality children's literature. There's mm-hmm. um, tips in the covers for parents to help you know how to engage better with your child as you're reading with them. And it's so fun for kids to receive mail in their name at oh, their yeah. home. Yeah. Uh, e- even though, I mean, it's not, we do so much digitally now and, you know, we don't get as much mail as maybe we once did, but it's still really cool when it's, that package comes and it's for the kids. It so, is really yeah. fun. Yeah. And uh, one of the things about the Imagination Library is, you know, this is for uh, every kid. It's regardless of uh, income and, you know, situation living with parents grandparents you know whatever this forever absolutely one of dolly's ideas behind this was that it would level the playing field that everybody yeah. has the dolly books so there's no stigma attached to receiving them because everyone can right we've heard from some parents before who say oh we don't want to take a spot in the program we can buy our own books mm-hmm. great uh, but sign up for the program, anyway. For the program yeah, anyway yeah so yeah. that way your child has the because same experience as everyone else. Yeah, because that's uh, that's part of the uh, that's part of the point. What is the the process for signing up for the books? Just go to our website finleylibrary.org, mm-hmm. click on the kids tab and down to uh, Dolly Parton's Imagination Library. Simple as that. It's simple as that. It's a quick form you're putting in your child's name, your name, address. Um, it'll take you Less than five minutes. Yeah. Um, and again, for anyone who might think, well, gee whiz, you know, my little one, my child or grandchild is is far too young to read a, a children's book, even a children's book. I mean, they're just too young for that. There's studies, study after study shows that from birth. Yes. This is a good thing. The more exposure to books, yeah. to language, the better prepared a child is for kindergarten. Yeah. Yeah. Even those really young ones who are just learning how to hold the book, they don't know how to read yet. <laughs> sure. They're learning how to hold the book. They're yeah. learning the concept of turning the pages. They're mm-hmm. making up their own stories as they look at the pictures. And that's all really valuable, too. And that interaction between Absolutely. parent and child is uh, invaluable, uh, too. And uh, obviously, as we mentioned, Dolly's going to be uh, in... Uh, I almost said in Finley. She's not going to be in Finley. She's going to be in, in Ohio, in Columbus for this event. And it is a fundraising event. Um, how do folks uh, contribute to help make this happen? So the the event with uh, Dolly is um, really at the helm of the o- Dolly Parton's Imagination Library of Ohio. So right. the, the statewide level. But right. locally, if you want to contribute, there is a Hancock Literacy Fund at the Community Foundation. And that is the best way uh, to help the program, we're working to build that fund to support the program in perpetuity. Yeah. Uh, so then, you know, the funds will always be there to to allow the children of Hancock County to receive these books. I've often said that it, it's it, the, the cost of sponsoring a child from birth to age five is what, like a hundred bucks or something. One twenty five. One hundred twenty five dollars. Um, if you are a grandparent and you've got a, a little one on the way. What a great gift that you can give to that child by, you know, Absolutely. writing a check for 125 bucks 
five that's five years of gifts right yes, there. Yes, uh, absolutely is. You could yeah. you know make a little certificate that you give to the new yeah, parent. And, that I mean yeah. that's uh, perfect. So something to to think about, and uh, you can sign up anytime. So anytime. it is it, also when I say that. Just because you've missed the birth of a new no, child, you can sign up. Sign absolutely, four year old, sign yeah, up. Yes. Sign up uh, yes. at any point if they're not uh, already. And again, you can get more information uh, on the uh, uh, on the library's website. By the way, speaking of uh, kids and uh, reading and things at the library, uh, summer read program is uh, winding down here it now. It is. This is the last week of summer read, but it has still been so busy. Uh, there was a great program in yesterday with NASA about. Um, undersea and and space exploration and oh my goodness there was just so many children in the room it was wonderful to see awesome um and uh they're also talking about things that are going on uh at the library in the uh, month of august as the kids sort of wind down and start to prepare for back to school you've got a lot of things uh, going on for the adults more of the virtual author talks yes there are have been more and more of those announced uh, Mm -hmm. all listed on our website a really great lineup coming and just a wide variety. Um, a few that I'll, I'll note that we have some discussions that we're planning for are uh, Beauty and the Breaking, which is a great memoir uh, from a doctor. Uh, we'll be doing a book discussion to go with that one. Uh, in September is Raising Thrivers, uh, Parenting Tips and Tools to Help Kids Thrive in an Uncertain World. Uh, in advance of that one, we're going to do a, a program with a professor of of education from the University of Finley on okay. how to help prepare your kids to have a good school year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll also do a, a book discussion uh, in conjunction with uh, the Madman and the Professor. So all of these author talks are listed on our website. And if you've missed any of them that have happened already, it's not too late. You can yeah. still go back and watch them. Yeah, because they're uh, happening virtually. Uh, they're all uh, archived there. And if folks want to... Do you, have to sign up for those or can you just go on with the link and log on you know and that kind of thing both you yeah, can okay. sign up in advance and they'll okay. send you an email and remind you that it's coming gotcha you know, a link to put in your calendar uh but you know if you've missed it you can just go click and and watch it anytime without registering yeah some really fascinating uh conversations with uh, some really terrific authors and uh those i think there's one, two, three, four of them in the month of August alone. Yes. So uh, there are a lot of uh, those for whatever interest you may have. Uh, so check those out on the uh, website as well. And you also have a book discussion uh, coming up with uh, our sister our sister city in Japan. Yes, it's the, the Across the Oceans uh, book discussion um, with Kawaguchi City. Uh, uh, Hiro Kawamuri from University of Finley had set up a discussion with a couple of our librarians and a couple of librarians there and uh, it was such a fun opportunity to compare our libraries and mm-hmm. in that discussion we, we talked about the idea of having a book discussion um, with patrons from both of our libraries so we're really excited to offer that on August 9th at 7.30. Okay, so that is coming up next week yes. and uh, again, more details on the uh, library's website yes. for that. Okay, we've got it all linked up at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Again, Sarah Clevidence of the Finley Hancock County Public Library. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. And now we'll finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. And once again, remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. Be sure to check us out online. Coming up tomorrow on the program, it wasn't that many years ago that many believed African-American athletes didn't have what it takes to play the most important position in football. ESPN senior writer Jason Reed discusses his new book, Rise of the Black Quarterback. Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.